Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Remember, we are working our way through the New Testament part of our Bedford Alliance Church reading plan. And last week we gave a brief intro to the book of Luke. So just to recap things a little bit, we said Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he was a close companion of Paul. And Luke actually writes more in terms of word count and content than any single author in the New Testament, even more than Paul. Now, that's not in terms of number of books, but that is in terms of content because he writes both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as well. And those are the two longest books in the New Testament. And Luke tells us that he carefully investigated and did research on all of the events surrounding both Jesus and the spread of the early church as well. And both of these books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, are addressed to a guy named Theophilus. But of course, they're written for a broader audience as well. And Luke tells us he's writing so that Theophilus and so all of his readers can have certainty about what really happened regarding Jesus in the early church. He's acting as a historian for us. And Luke really addresses his book, his gospel, to the outsiders of society, the poor, the outcasts, the Gentiles, because Luke himself was likely a Gentile. He tells us that Jesus has come to save all people, not just Israel. Of course, he is the Savior of Israel, but he's also the Savior of all people. Now, this week we're reading Luke chapters 6 through 10, so I want to touch on a few passages from the reading this week. And one quick point I want to make is in Luke chapter 6, you'll see that before Jesus actually picks the 12 disciples, he spends all night in prayer. You see that in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And, And throughout the book of Luke, you see Jesus frequently withdrawing by himself to pray. In the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, prayer precedes every major decision or crisis that either Jesus or the early church faces. Let me say that again. In the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, prayer precedes every major decision or crisis of either Jesus or the early church. So every time something big happens in one of these two books, it comes in response to prayer. Every time. The point here is that God acts in response to our prayers. Prayer is our primary weapon for advancing the gospel. We need prayer. I've heard it said before that if we're okay with revival not happening, guess what? It won't happen. God acts in response to our persistent, desperate prayers. Prayer shows our dependence on God and he moves in response to it. So guess what? If we're not praying, we're saying that we don't need God. Prayer shows our dependence on God and he acts in response to it. Think about it. If the Son of God, 
spent all night in prayer before he made a big decision? How much more should we pray before we make decisions in our life? So I want to challenge us, and I'm, I'm going to be doing that a lot here today. How is your prayer life? Do we see prayer as optional? Is it just an obligatory thing that we do before a meal? Or do we see it as the necessity that it is? Because spiritually, we're only going to go as far as our prayers. Because apart from God's power, we can do nothing. And that's what Jesus illustrates for us as he goes and he prays. He withdraws himself and he prioritizes prayer. We need to do the same thing. Now, another point I want to make, you'll notice in chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he sends them out to preach the gospel and to heal and to cast out demons, all of these things. They're, they're really continuing the ministry that Jesus has started. Now, you've probably heard the term apostle before, but you may not know that this word sent in verse 2, okay, it says Jesus sent them out. That word sent is the Greek word apostello. That's where we get the word apostle from. The word apostle means sent one or one who is sent out or commissioned. Now, before we think that only a quote-unquote special class of Christians are sent out, in chapter 10, Jesus also sends out 72 other believers, two by two, and once again, the, the word sent there is apostello. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that all Christians are apostles in the, in the technical sense. Okay, An apostle is somebody who was an eyewitness of Jesus and was commissioned by him in a special way. They're the ones who helped start the church and found the church, and and they wrote the scriptures in some cases, the New Testament scriptures. So not all Christians hold the official office of apostle. Okay, That was reserved for a specific group of men who followed Jesus initially. But the point here is that all Christians are sent in some sense. Now, we may have a period of learning and growing just like Jesus' disciples, but ultimately to be a follower of Christ is to be sent out. We are to go to people and to share Christ with them and, and love them and care for them. Christianity is not about just sitting on the sidelines. And it's also not just about gathering crowds. It's about equipping and sending people out into the world. And I think Luke makes this point with his overall storyline between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Starting in in Luke 9, you'll notice that Jesus is determined to get to Jerusalem. He he has fixed his mind on getting there. Why? Because he, he knows that he's going there to lay down his life. So the Gospel of Luke records Jesus going to Jerusalem. Then the book of Acts records the Gospel starting in Jerusalem. And working its way out. The early church, the early believers, they take the gospel from Jerusalem and they are sent out into the surrounding area, the Roman Empire, and they take the gospel into their known world at the time. To be a follower of Christ is to be sent. Now, that doesn't mean that we all become overseas missionaries necessarily, but we are supposed to be intentional about taking the gospel to people and to reaching out to people. 
So I want to challenge you. How can you take ownership of your faith in this sense? Do you just view Christianity like a spectator sport? You know, you just show up on a Sunday morning, kind of watch people on stage do their thing, feel good about yourself, and then you go home, do it all again next week? That's not what Christianity is supposed to be about. All of us are sent. And again, that doesn't mean we all become missionaries, but we can all reach out to others and be intentional about sharing our faith and and investing in the people right around us. And I know it can be hard to know where to even begin with this. But I want to encourage you, who is just one person? Start with just one person that you can be praying for, investing in, and ultimately inviting to follow Christ. Just think of one. Sometimes we always tend to think in terms of changing the world, but that's not our job. Okay, let God handle that. Let God handle changing the world. Let's just be faithful in the little things. And I believe God will move through that. Focus on just one person. Who's one person that you can be intentional about going to and sharing the gospel with and and investing in? Now, Moving on, we'll circle back to that again. But moving on, I want to talk about another event in Luke chapter 9. It's what we call the transfiguration. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, which, by the way, those three guys are kind of Jesus' inner circle. Okay, He's got the 12 disciples, but then out of those 12, he's especially close to three of them, Peter, James, and John. And he takes those three guys up on a mountain to pray. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts glowing. His face is shining. His clothes become, as some translations say, dazzling white. But this phrase actually means to be as bright as a flash of lightning. Think about that. Jesus is illuminating the sky here. And this really reflects back on when Moses in Exodus was in God's presence and his face started shining. But if you remember, Moses' face was shining because he was reflecting God's glory. In this case, with Jesus, Jesus is shining from within. He is showing his inner circle of disciples who he really is. Because remember remember that earlier in this chapter, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Well, now he's answering that. He's showing them. Because remember, Jesus is fully man, but don't forget that he's also fully God. He is divine. He's giving his disciples a glimpse of his glory. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up as well. Now it's a party. What's going on here? Well, Moses represents the Old Testament law. Okay, Elijah represents the Old Testament prophets. And their presence here in this story, this picture, refutes the incorrect answers that some people gave to who Jesus is earlier in this chapter. Because some people were saying that Jesus is John, some were saying he's Elijah, and Jesus is saying, no, I am someone even greater than them. And this is also showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets. This is helping us further see who Jesus is. And I love 
Peter in this account too. Peter goes, uh, hey, Jesus, you know, it, it's a good thing that you brought me and James and John because we can make three tents for you guys, you know, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love how scripture says that Peter didn't know what he was saying as he said this. Do you ever know anyone who just talks when they get nervous? You know, they can't handle silence. They just start talking. I think that was Peter. Peter was that kind of person. Peter seems to be kind of missing the whole point of of what is going on here. And then all of a sudden, this cloud overtakes the mountain and God the Father speaks from the cloud and he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Don't miss the significance of this. This phrase, this is my son, that's actually a reference to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. My chosen one is a reference to Isaiah 42, 1. And listen to him is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, 15. So God quotes from the three main sections of the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is made up of the law, the prophets, and what we call the writings, including the Psalms. So God uses three quotes from his own written word, one from each of the main sections, and he applies them to Jesus. He's again saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Then after the cloud passes, this glory cloud passes, Jesus alone is left. This is a reminder that he has superseded and and fulfilled the Old Testament because Moses and Elijah are no longer present in this picture. So I just wanted to remind us of the significance of this event. Jesus again had asked, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He gives a definitive answer here. He is the divine son of God. And he is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Now, one other thing I want to cover here, this is the end of chapter 9. And Jesus talks about the cost of following him. And he says some pretty difficult things here. So let me read this first. This is Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. It says, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, Let me first go bury my father. But he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, what is Jesus' point here? Well, all three of these examples center around the word follow. He is telling us what it costs to follow him, what it looks like to follow him. So first he says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He's saying that following him isn't going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. And it's also going to involve rejection. Then what about the second guy who says he wants to bury his father? That sounds reasonable, right? Understand that for a Jewish person, this burial process was a religious duty that really had precedence over everything else. It was usually a full one-year process. There was an an initial burial, and then one year later, the bones of the deceased person 
would be placed in an ossuary box. Now, of course, Jesus elsewhere affirms honoring your parents. And, and scripture in general upholds the importance of family, the priority of family. But the point here is that this man's first response wasn't obedience to Jesus. His first response was to make excuses. The point here is that allegiance to Jesus transcends even our deepest family obligations. Following Jesus means total and complete obedience and and allegiance. And it's the same thing with the last example. With the last example, instead of immediate obedience, this guy says, but first, but first let me do this. How often do we do that to God? God calls us to do something and we say, okay, uh, but first or but, but, but. We come up with excuses. So Jesus' point in all of this is that to follow him means complete surrender. It means he becomes number one in our lives. He doesn't just get tacked onto a list. He becomes the center of, of everything. Being a Christian isn't just about praying a prayer one time and then we go and live however we want. It means total and complete surrender. Now, just to wrap things up, I know that we've gone a few different directions with this episode, but it all connects back together. Following Jesus, as we said, it it involves complete and total surrender. And with that, it means to be sent, to be sent out, to intentionally love and, and pursue others. We're not meant to just sit on the sidelines. Jesus calls us to action. So again, I want to challenge you, who is one person that you can pray for and start investing in? And keep in mind that we can't advance the kingdom without prayer. If Jesus spent all night in prayer for his disciples, how much more should we pray for the people that we're investing in? So think of one person that you can be investing in and start praying for him or her. Imagine the impact we as Bedford Alliance Church could have if we all led one person to the Lord this year. So let's get off the sidelines and let's advance God's kingdom by his power. Let's advance his kingdom on our knees in prayer because that's the only way that we will advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth. 